Welcome to Soul Talk, where we talk about the things that matter most in the places that sometimes don't have words. And one of those places that many of us have found ourselves this year is the place of pain and suffering. I'm honestly not sure if there's any more challenging place for the soul than when we must walk through, wrestle with, and endure pain, difficulty, challenge, suffering. And yet, if we do not engage these realities from the inside out, they wreck us from the outside in. If we don't wrestle them out in the places where we are most real, the effects will come out sideways and seriously own us. And things like bitterness, health effects, anger, isolation, cynicism, and a whole host of other life-sucking, soul-sapping outworkings. So... With that uplifting intro, that's why I'm so excited, truly, to learn from one who has had to do exactly what we're going to talk about today and what I've just talked about. One who has come through with a perspective and words and emotions about having walked this road of engaging the soul in suffering, and one that we can learn from. So I'm excited to do that today. Uh, Joel Wharton is not only my guest, but he is a special friend of mine for the better part of 20 years. Gosh, is that possible? We first met uh, when he was just coming into the counseling field, and we worked for the same counseling practice for a minute, I think. <laughs> Joel has been a licensed counselor for 19 years. He was the head of a counseling agency for 13 years and now is serving as a care pastor on a church staff, which is awesome. More importantly, though, he has been married to his amazing wife, Carrie, for 22 years, and they have three awesome kids, Karis, 17, Nathan, 14, and Brennan, is it Brennan? Yes. 13. So I am truly so excited to welcome my good friend, a true faith hero, and an example of holding on to faith when doing so seems actually crazy. So I'm so excited to welcome my good friend, Joel Wharton. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, Tammy. Cannot believe it. <laughs> 20 years later, we're sitting here having this conversation. I right, love it. Right. And you don't look a day older. Right. Uh-huh. There's gray in the beard, though. Mine or yours? Right. <laughs> we'll go with mine. <laughs> I mean, you didn't even pick up on my clue there. I'm leaning forward. I got my eyebrows up to say, and neither do you, Tammy. Right. But you Sorry. dismissed that social cue from the outset. <laughs> You don't need any help with self-esteem. Oh, come on. <laughs> what a blow. Oh, oh, am I bleeding? Am I bleeding there? Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. Truly, I just am so pumped that we get to to be here today and to do this. And, and while we're super Absolutely. excited to be together today, yeah. on one level, the topic is not exciting, mm. you know. And so, I don't know. I guess my question to start things off is, so why are you glad for a chance to share what you mm. get to today? Yeah. You know, it's true that the topic, which we'll get to more of my story in a bit, but um, what has happened to my physical body, I, I wish that wasn't my story. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't want uh, what has happened to me to be anybody's story. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, there's such a delight in what's come about because of this story. We can't separate out the physical from the spiritual and the emotional and the relational. Ever. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they all play into one another. And when we try to separate them out, uh, we do such a disservice to the story mm. that God is wanting to write. So well said. And so, um, yeah, it is true. I, on, on the one hand, not excited at all about aspects of my story. Mm. Um, but on the other... The, there's a depth that uh, has come about in my faith, in my relationships, um, a maturity that has come not because of who I am, mm. but because of what God's done in and through me. Um, yeah. It richened me as a counselor, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to be able to enter into some really dark spaces mm -hmm. with people and not provide simplistic answers. Mm hmm and I know I'm so excited to have a conversation of that kind of depth with you because I know one of the things that is important for you as we share your story is that never would you come across as trite or giving a simplistic answer mm -hmm. because 
unfortunately, um, many Christians can do that, and that is not your heart, and that is not what our Lord presents us with. That's right. It's He doesn't ever give us Band-Aids. <laughs> no, that's right. And I think that's one of the things that I, I definitely bumped into along the journey is there is a temptation to embrace simplistic theologies. Yeah. You know, I, I very much want to believe that if I'm good and right. I'm obedient, right. then good things will happen. Who doesn't want that for their life? Um, but the reality is that puts me in a position of manipulating God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's a much more complicated and nuanced um, theology to acknowledge I can be faithful and suffer. Yeah. And God's in it. Yes. It's very hard to identify his fingerprint sometimes, but that's the truth. Yeah. That's and so we got to talk more about that. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly right. Gosh, this is so good. So, yeah, I, I knew that we wouldn't get very far into these kinds of thoughts without you know, knowing, needing to know, excuse me, the specifics of your story. So mm. how about we just, if it's okay, yeah, if sure. it's critical for us to know how you've come to know and believe these things that you're sharing with us even mm. right now. So do you mind if we just go there and you just dive right in? Do you mind? Sure. Okay. No, it's perfect. Yeah. When I look back and think where my life was in 2009, uh, I'm the father of a two, three and six year old. Um, I'm, I'm kind of thriving, you mm-hmm. know, as a, in my career, I'm mm-hmm. 30, 30, what was I? 36. Um, you know, kind of in that, what would you might consider a prime of your yeah. life? You know, we've got our first home. Uh, we're, we're just, life is happening. And by the grace of God in hindsight, I agree to go on a mission trip with heritage. And, uh, it was a mission trip to Kenya. Heritage being the church or yes, at the time. Heritage Christian Church mm-hmm. in Westerville. And in order to get into Kenya, you're supposed to take the yellow fever vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I go to the travel clinic. That happens. But within a matter of days, I start to get pretty ill, which is a very unusual reaction, especially being 36 and seemingly perfectly healthy. And uh, it was over the next couple weeks that uh, ultimately what happened is I started battling a very severe case of pneumonia. Had a very high fever, 105, um, which threw my heart into this weird rhythm. I was at an urgent care. They called the squad Mm. and off I go from there to St. Anne's Hospital in Westerville. And I'm battling pneumonia for three days. And about the time that uh, it's time to just discharge me, a, uh, a physician comes in and says, we think you have cancer and we have a follow-up appointment for you scheduled for tomorrow. Wow. It, I mean, there was something almost comical about it because Ugh. I'm disconnected, I'm packed, I'm ready to go. Oh my goodness. And it was, actually my mom was there. And somebody comes in and says that, it's like... Is this candid camera? Uh, what, what are you talking about? I, I'm here for pneumonia and I'm ready to go home. Th- there was really no oh no goodness. warning at all. But what had happened is they did a scan of my chest because of that strange heart rhythm that I had. And they picked up a lesion on my seventh rib, which again was wow. chance in wow. quotations. Uh, it was no chance at all. But that ended up um, leading us to the discovery that I had multiple myeloma, which is a um, cancer of the bone marrow. Wow. And that started us down a very long path. Yeah. Huge. And so as you navigated those initial days and weeks of the shock, Mm. what was happening in your soul? So anybody that knows the Wharton family knows that we cry. So just hang on. <laughs> um, because the thing that has always wrecked me the most is the impact that this news would have on my young family. And Tammy, you know this from the years that we worked together. Uh, my wife and I experienced three miscarriages 
And, um, and then we were given the joy of three children. I could not wrap my head around how God would seemingly give us the desire of our heart after suffering three losses. And now I'm not going to be the guy to finish the job. Wrecked me. Um, I have a very distinct memory of Nathan, my Mm. middle, my middle boy, three coming out of his room from a nap the day I got home Mm. and I scooped him up and I could not stop crying (laughs) because I've, I've, I anticipated that my time with him was going to be far shorter than I wanted. And that was, uh, that was extremely difficult for me to cope with. I'm not supposed to be the one that uh, brings pain and anxiety into my family. I'm supposed to protect them from it. And I felt, I've just found myself completely powerless to be able to minister to my family. I resented that for a long time. I resented God for putting me in a position where I was no longer able to be the one to lead well. Mm. I felt sidelined. Huge. Mm-hmm. And so in the in those initial times, did you find that your faith went to the background? Mm-hmm. Did you find it came to the fore and you were like, you were angry mm-hmm. or were you like, no, I'm clinging to my faith. Mm-hmm. Were you inadvertently trying to please God to talk yeah. him out of this? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? What did you find was happening? If you can recall, cause it has been so long. Thank sure. God. No, I would choose, uh, there's, there's choice E all of the above. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really was, um, Moment by moment, hmm. there there wasn't a, uh, you know, sometimes we think of stage models of like, well, then there was the anger phase <laughs> and then there's the denial <laughs> stage. Nah, it was, it was much more um, dynamic than that. Mm-hmm. So that there were definitely moments of, of feeling like, okay, I don't like this God, but I got nowhere else to go. So right. I'm going to cling to you even though I'm ticked off. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if you're really trustworthy anymore. Right. Um, but I didn't want to go through this and lose my faith. There was that sense of like, wow. yeah, that, okay. that, that can't be the way to go. But I certainly questioned whether or not God's goodness was going to be sufficient wow. to get me through. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then there were other moments, you know, where it was much more uh, a feeling of, anxiety and fear, the uncertainties, which we can all identify with in 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but this, this uncertainty took me to some pretty dark places of no longer being able to have vision for my life. Everything was about the next doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. the next blood draw. Mm-hmm. When was chemo going to start? When's this bone marrow transplant going to happen? Mm-hmm. And on and on. Life became very present for me. Mm-hmm. And so go ahead and keep talking to us about what continued to happen and how that path looked. But I also want to hear, so how did you wrestle mm-hmm. with the question of his trustworthiness in those times? Mm-hmm. You know, the beauty of my story, one, one of the beauties of my story is that the, the belief that I was supposed to be a self-sufficient agent going through it, yeah, that got all blown up. And so the American male BS, mm. you know, <laughs> sorry, am I allowed to say that here? Um, th- that, that was all gone. Yeah. Self-sufficiency was a lie. And so I can just remember some just very timely uh, words from people who I believe were being uh, obedient to the leading of the spirit Mm. said things showed up, let me talk. I had a lot of people that were the wise friends of Job, you know, when they 
kept their mouths shut yeah. <laughs> before they opened their mouths. Uh, I had those people in my life. Mm. And that was such a, uh, that was a joy in hindsight. I didn't need advice. I didn't need somebody reminding me of the goodness of God because that's just not where I was at. Right. I needed to be allowed to feel what I was feeling. Yeah. Uh, trusting. They, they got to stand in the gap for me. Yeah. That's the way that I see it in hindsight. Yeah. Um, they provided borrowed faith, which we might talk about more as well. Yeah. Just that notion of like, listen, you're going to have to carry my mat and rip the roof off for me mm. because I can't do it. I'm lame right now. That's right. My job was to stay on the mat. Mm. And, uh, and so staying on the mat in those first three months meant um, being uh, medication compliant. <laughs> <laughs> with medication. Okay, the look on your face <laughs> when you just said that was perfect. Medication compliant? It's just, it was a very strange thing mm. to to swallow something that you know is really going to do your body a number. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, sidebar here, but it's strange, too, to have meds delivered to your door and you see what the, the retail cost of it was? A month, $21,000. Each pill was $1,000. Like, don't drop. I dropped one, one time. And then my kids went, crawled under the deck to go get it. Because I'm like, I'll give you 10 bucks for that $1,000 pill. <laughs> and they were small, so they did it. But, <laughs> but it, was, it was difficult to know that um, the side effects of these drugs were, mm. were, were no small thing. And so in those first three months, I, I had to take a very strong steroid, which strangely enough has been found to help combat COVID. Uh, it's called dexamethasone. And that's gotten a lot of news here recently. I've taken dex for off and on over the last 11 years, probably three of those years, three or four of those years. That's, that drug's not, you're not messing around with that drug. Um, it creates a, a manicky kind of feeling. I didn't sleep for 48 hours. Mm. Um, it was dosed once a week on top of the uh, chemo drug that I took. But it worked. Mm. And my numbers dropped like crazy. So it was incredibly motivational to see like, okay, treatment's working. In those moments, of course, it was easy to praise God. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. It was easier for my soul to feel like, um, all right, things are lining up. I'm getting answers to prayer here. So God sees me. Mm -hmm. And so we almost go back to that old mathematical yep, equation right, of right. We can't help it. good outcomes means yes. that, you know, I've been good or something. Um, and so that would be blown up again and again. <laughs> but uh, in December of 2009, I was, I uh, entered the James, the old James building and they began the process of the bone marrow transplant. The James is a cancer hospital. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, at Ohio State University. Thank God. It is a state-of-the-art yeah. facility, and it's right here in our backyard. I didn't have to go anywhere for yeah. treatment. And a bone marrow transplant because? Yeah. So because myeloma cells, the malignancy exists in the plasma cell in my body, what happens is it forces out the healthy development of white and red cells. It also chews up um, um, calcium. And so it creates these weak spots in your bones. I was fortunate that I wasn't diagnosed after a bone break, mm -hmm. though lots of people in their older years, uh, that's exactly how it's discovered. For me, it was discovered pretty early. And, um, and so the bone marrow transplant is supposed to give your body a chance to reset. So hospitalized, um, in the days leading up to the hospitalization, they actually take stem cells out of me, mm -hmm. which was a remarkable process. Mm. Um, and then hospitalized high dose chemo to kill my bone marrow. Mm -hmm. And then they put those harvested cells back into my bloodstream. They knew where to go. Talk about God's amazing mm. creation. Those cells migrated back into the bone marrow and began to develop a new healthy bone marrow. But that means taking yourself down to zero. You have no immunity, zero. 
in the hospital for two weeks meant that uh, my parents and my wife had to mask. It was kind of like COVID. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, that was the year of uh, H1N1. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my kids were not allowed to come to the hospital for those two weeks. And um, nor would it have been wise little germ factories, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't have any immunity. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, I, I did well. I did well, recovered from that, and uh, and then started the journey of staying on maintenance medications and to try and stretch out the length of remission that I would get from so the So they had sort of declared you in remission at that point, kind of? Yeah, it's a, it's a remission status. Okay. Uh, blood cancer is a little more complicated yeah, to yeah. call remission. Uh, it's not like there's a solid state tumor that you can say, we got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is everywhere in my body. It's in every bone. And so um, it was more of a partial remission status because there was still a measurable number that was there in my bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So we monitored and I was good for about 18 months and then had my first recurrence. First recurrence. Yep. Okay. So tell us about that process and your soul and how mm. suffering is working itself out that way and mm-hmm. how we can, yeah, how we can understand, okay, yeah, this is how faith mm. looks in those times. Mm-hmm. I think we're prone to believing that the chapter closes on suffering, mm-hmm. right? And yes, so what yes, we're hoping yes. for is that, um, well, hey, listen, that, that chapter has been written. Uh, let's move on and let's return to a place of comfort. And, you know, cancer is kind of unique, but anybody who's got a chronic illness, mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, you've lost somebody. There's been a, a, a tragic death, death of a child. These things come back around. There's trigger points that, that reactivate the memory and the feelings are right there. And so for me, cancer was always on the horizon. And then, you know, you get the call like, oh, these numbers are trending badly. Mm-hmm. We're going to need to make a switch in treatment. Which ushers in a whole nother layer of anxiety because you're not sure, is this going to work? Yeah. There's not an indefinite number of drugs out there. Mm-hmm. Like there's a finite number of drugs right. and I'm ticking them off the list. Yeah. That does not feel good um, because it feels like you're, you're closer and closer to being treatment resistant uh, or there's just no more options. That was scary. That was scary. But um, so I, I'll comment on this. I think... In terms of of where the soul tends to go or went for me, mm-hmm. is I would vacillate between wanting to anchor myself to information and knowledge. Yeah, you know, if I can just understand this thing better, change my diet, change my exercise habits, I can maintain control over my future, which was not true. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that I didn't need to be a healthy vessel to right? receive right? treatment. But these things were not going to cure me. And yet what was uh, so tempting is to cling to things. And strangely enough, it wasn't just those things. There were even spiritual anchors that weren't healthy spiritual anchors. Whoa, describe that to us. Parse that out for us. Because your point, don't lose your train of thought, but your point about clinging to information as an anchor and how we want to do that. I don't think there's one listener that can't identify with that is what we do. Absolutely. When we, when there is an unknown, it is like <gasps> the frantic yeah. push to just, just if, if I can get my arms around mm-hmm. it, then we somehow settle. That's right. And it's because it's this illusion of control thing. Totally. Yeah. And it goes back to, I mean, that, that's the, uh, um, that's the garden deception. <laughs> you know, I need to be God. Yeah. I want to be God-like. So some of those things that I would cling to, Spiritually, um, I, can, I guess I've kind of already mentioned this, but it, it goes back to that uh, belief that if I perform well enough, mm-hmm. if I'm, am I using my testimony for the glory of God? Uh, yeah. Right. right. That it then creates some kind of automatic response system <laughs> from mm-hmm. God 
that he's going to meet me in this space and he's going to prolong my life. Um, you know, the reality is, I don't know why I got this. But I don't believe, I don't believe that it was deserved. I take a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of comfort from that moment the disciples go to Jesus and say, hey, this dude over here that's born blind, mm-hmm. what did his parents do? Why does he, they believe, that was their belief system, yeah. is that um, when evil or suffering happens, yes. somebody did something to deserve yes. it. Yes. No, not true. And Jesus addresses that. I think it's one of the times he grabbed Peter by the ear. You know, there was a lot of those moments for Peter. Um, and I feel like he grabbed me in those moments too and said, ah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I'm in this with you. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that he necessarily produces an outcome that will include the preservation of my life. Yeah. What he guaranteed is that he would preserve my soul. Mm-hmm. Right that I am an, inter- an, an eternal being yes. that is going to be with him forever. Ugh, that was really hard to accept, though. I'm not going to lie. Well, when you're staring babies in the eyeballs. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And I know that I shared this with you. I'm popping over everywhere here. but um, That's great. That, that takes me back to that moment of having to accept that as much as I want to be the guy that finishes the job of raising my kids and meeting my grandkids, um, that was never promised to me. Mm. And when I stood uh, in front of my church body and dedicated those children back to God, Mm. I was acknowledging in that moment that I am, I'm stewarding my time with them. I'm a steward. These kids they don't belong to me Mm. and so there was a very clear moment this probably was within the first month where i heard a very clear sense from the lord say did you mean it wow and it wasn't it wasn't like a a, an aggressive yeah yeah like sarcastic it was just a loving like joel did you mean it when you said that those kids belong to me? Yeah. Do you trust me to take care of them even if you're unable to complete the journey? And of course, I wanted to first say, not fair. That is not a fair question. Yeah. Because who goes into parenting believing that they won't be able to carry this to fruition? Yes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And yet, well, that truth hit me square between the eyes that he was going to be trustworthy. He will take care of my kids. He's already taking care of my kids in ways that I will never be able to take care yes, of them. right. But to trust that and to accept what he was going to provide, I still struggle with that some days. Mm. I got a very good idea of what I want provided for. Yeah. You know? And a lot of that has to do with my comfort. Mm. <laughs> You're preaching about uh, 75 sermons so far in this podcast, <laughs> brother. And it's so good. It's mm. so good. And it's too, it, it's so many things, but it's so on point with how we just fight it. We just bash against mm-hmm. the brokenness. We bash against suffering. We cannot. Okay. The answer to will you allow suffering, <laughs> every one of us, if we're honest, our immediate reflexive reaction is no, no, right. no. No, even when Jesus, like those of us who know Jesus and who pour over his words, he's so clear in this world, you will have trouble. He, it, yes, he's straight up equated. He made it like a math equation. We want yes. the equations. He gave us an equation. Right. World equals trouble. Right. In this world, yeah. you'll have trouble. So that means as long as you're in the flesh, mm-hmm. bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And he I says, think this is, this is one of the reasons why the prosperity gospel makes me so angry. Because what it does is it puts the onus of responsibility for my problems or my suffering right. on me because I haven't, I haven't done something enough. Yes. Or the only other alternative there is that God's not powerful. Right. Right. It only leads to those two conclusions. Which, are you kidding me? Right. Exactly. I don't want a God who I can figure out who's like somehow weak. Right. 
Yeah. So if if, if we if or we if then, I have that much power, yes. I don't want that much power. Right. But so most of us say, well, we know that God's powerful. So that means the problem is moi. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's my problem. Yeah. And what it does is it isolates me again. Yeah. It puts me on this pursuit of having to figure out yes. uh, how am I going to get what I want out of God. Yes. And so I'm game, oh my gosh, I'm a gamer, you said that right? you said that beautifully. Puts you on the pursuit of figuring out mm-hmm. how am I going to get what I want from God. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If so many of us were honest, so many people, even in their pursuit of God, yeah, it's about that. Yes. What can I put into this vending machine to get out yeah. of the vending machine? What is going to make me feel secure and comfortable and mm-hmm. basically avoid pain That's and right. avoid the pain of life? That's right. And the end of the verse, in this world, you'll have trouble. Mm-hmm. Same breath, he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Mm-hmm. Like he says, there's only one way to overcome and it has to do with communion with me. That's right. I'm overcoming, not you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then it also takes me back to, um, you know, very familiar passages like the 23rd Psalm. Mm-hmm. You know, he says he's going to go with us through mm-hmm. the valley of the shadow of death. Not around it, right? Not over it, not under it. It's 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 in it. He's with me in it. It still raises questions, Tammy. I, right. I don't understand if he's with me. Then why doesn't he do the whole like snap the finger genie thing? Yes. I, I mean, of course, I have pursued healing. I've been prayed over by the elders. Yes. I've gone to healing prayer meetings. Yes. Uh, I have. I have, I've even covered some other religions, um, <laughs> some family friends that are Jewish. I've had, I've got a candle that's mm. been lit for me for 11 years. No. You know, like this, there, there's, there's people, people of deep faith mm-hmm. who have gone before the throne of God to say, heal him. And here's the funny thing. I think he's already answered the prayer and it doesn't necessarily require that every cell in my body mm. be non-cancerous mm-hmm. because the story that he's created in me is new life. It is new life. The healing's happening. Mm. And so I resent, mm. I really kind of resent the moments mm. when, you know, a recurrence happens or I've got to go, I'll be at, I'll be at the, the James Cancer Hospital next Friday at this time with an IV in my arm. And it what gets communicated sometimes is that I've not experienced the touch of God unless I've been completely healed. I don't right. think so. I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, It's been miraculous the way in which he demonstrated his love for me and his faithfulness to me. And this testimony that I'm now getting to share yet again yeah. in this format, that is the healing. Yeah. Not to mention that my body will be completely healed on the other side. Come on. Come on. I just don't want to put any conditions yeah. on what God's going to provide. Right. 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 Wow. So I know that you have said at times that there was a way that people engaging you in your suffering, mm. of course they were well-intended, but it sort of had the sense of putting you on a pedestal mm-hmm. or marginalizing you or what it what was that that you were referring to? Yeah. I <laughs> Because I'm very interested in equipping all sides of this discussion as we're talking. Sure. I'm interested in the person who is suffering, but I'm also interested in those who walk with. And so one of the biggest takeaways so far today has been listening is in and of itself mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. Do not feel like you have to give advice. Do not feel like you have to speak. Do not be afraid of silence That's right. when your friend is suffering. That's huge. We've gotten that message from you loud and clear. Mm-hmm. Also, if you feel like what you are going to speak could possibly minimize or place a blame on them mm-hmm. for, well, maybe have you tried this or have you asked mm-hmm. Jesus this? Maybe cause them to self-blame. Do not speak that. Right. That is the spirit's job. Exactly. You know, it's the spirit's job to convict. And so, yeah, what, what I've shared with you in the past is 
um, the, the well-meaning encouragement. I can't believe how well you're handling this. Oh. <laughs> okay. You demigod, you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be signing autographs <laughs> later. I, I think while certainly there's, there's the encouragement of um, when you, Joel, are able to grab a hold of what God is doing in the midst of your circumstances, that lands well. Mm-hmm. I can't believe how well you're handling that means I'm not allowed to have a bad day. Yeah. Because what would you say to me if I said, well, I was kind of cursing God last night. Mm-hmm. How's that land? Am I handling it pretty well? Yeah. How about the times that I coped in ways that were sinful? Yeah, right. Am I handling it well then? Yeah. And so what it does is it puts this pressure to present a face of what the you know, strong Christian man does in times of suffering instead of allowing for the full picture of what a Christian man does in suffering. Come on. A real Christian man laments, um, gives voice to deep pain and disappointment in God, also rejoices. It's the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that well-intended message says, we really only want to hear this over here, the Mm -hmm. good stuff. Tell us that because, well, now this goes to another level. Sometimes people people don't want your story of suffering to disrupt their worldview. Oh, please. Right? Huge. It's that's that is very significant because in fact we we we've lost friends over the years because it's hard to join in someone else's suffering. Yeah. I don't want to believe that this could ever happen to me. Mm-hmm. I still like the old mathematical equation. I'm a pretty good dude. I tithe. I, you know, I've gone on mission trips. That's extra credit right there. Right. You know, and and then it means that um, I'll I'll die in my sleep when I'm 95 years old. Right. And nothing bad's going to happen. It's very disruptive to have to really confront the fact that we are out of control. We are out of control. Yes. And that sounds like maybe I just got you a whole lot of new business there, Tammy. (laughs) People are going to start having anxiety attacks. I don't live my life day in and day out feeling like, oh, everything's meaningless, meaningless. Right. But I do have to engage with the humility that the things that I want to hold on to often aren't worth hanging on to because they don't produce the kind of... Um, real uh, trust, they don't provide for me. Mm. They claim to. Right. They claim to. So it's starting the day on the good days. <laughs> it, it's clinging to like, okay, Lord, let's do this. And I'm going to trust you. Yeah. I'm going to trust what you provide. Yeah. But that wasn't every day. I guarantee you that. <laughs> and so... God's faithfulness to you. Mm-hmm. So the story has gone on. I don't know how much more of the story you want to continue to share sure. about even unbelievable mm-hmm. situation a couple of years ago. If yeah. you want to share that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The next major recurrence, there were some drug changes over about five, six years, but um, maintaining stability, worked every day. You know, went to all the soccer games. You know, I was able to be an active and involved dad. So that was a huge blessing to me. But um, had one of those moments where, see, I must have been 42 and uh, thought, "Uh uh-oh, I've got a 42-year-old back twinge, you know, and uh, went in and had a scan done and discovered that two-thirds of T11 vertebrae was just gone. And there was a tumor there. Um, It's called a plasma cytoma. And so it's a liquid filled tumor, but that was corrosive to the bone and it was just gone. Wow. And so again, in a second, yeah, everything screeches to a halt. Totally different. And now we have to figure out like, how, how do we deal with this? At first, there were some high risk options and we just decided to do nothing for a season after radiation. We did do the radiation, radiation, um, 
destroyed the tumor, but it left this, basically this gap. This hole. Yeah. Wow. And so the neurosurgeon basically says to me, you're at risk of a vertebral collapse, which if that happens, you're looking at a spinal cord injury. <laughs> so go home and enjoy dinner tonight. You know, like, what do you do? Wow. My kids at that point, so we're talking six years ago. So what, my youngest is like seven. So seven, eight, 13. I mean, I'm still in the wrestling ages, right? Yeah. Where the boys want to jump on me and, and tackle me. And I had, we had to say, you guys, you can't, you can't whack me in the back. You can't, uh, you know, so that, that was hard because it changed my relationship with the boys. Mm. And again, it introduces then this thought that's always in the back of your head. Yes. When, what if I trip? Yes. What if I get rear-ended by somebody? Right. And it's not even my fault, but I just snap. Yeah. It was, that was really terrible. So after six weeks, we're like, yeah, we're doing the procedure. And so the procedure is called a vertebroplasty. And basically what they did was they inserted a large gauge needle um, bypassing my spinal cord within just millimeters. And they filled that space with surgical cement. And I walked out of the hospital. Oh my gosh. That that same day was an outpatient procedure. <laughs> <laughs> That's Crazy. unreal. It really, I mean, thankful to the Lord. Uh, no, no ill effects, no pain. Six years, I've I've not had any problem. In fact, my neurosurgeon just this uh, last what April released me from his care. He Whoa! Said, Call me if you need me. But uh, so no more awesome. follow up. You know, it's amazing. That is awesome. The other thing that that did, that's of note, is a uh, a new multiple myeloma drug was FDA approved six months before they discovered that tumor. And I've now been on that drug for going on almost five years. And that that single drug has maintained a complete remission status. Unbelievable. So I have no myeloma cells in my body. In fact, I just had a PET scan and an MRI uh, for some hip pain that I got pretty freaked out by yeah. about a month ago. Right. Yeah, that, that was old man problems. <laughs> that was sciatica. Yay! And, and, Normal old but, man problems. <laughs> I am able to say I'm now an old man. Oh, and I never thought I was going to get to see God. old man, the old man problems. So, yeah. so anyway, th- that was the most recent um, challenge. But I will tell you that that recurrence felt very different mm. than some of the things that happened earlier. And... Um, I've been reflecting a lot on the power of storytelling. Hmm. It's what the people of Israel did. Uh, Ebenezer stones, mm-hmm. the, the, the construction of um, altars. Yeah. Wherever God showed up, they memorialized it. And uh, I've had memorial stone moments. I've yeah. had my Ebenezer moments yeah. to, to more quickly reflect back and say, I didn't know how God was going to get me out of that one, but look what God did. Yeah. And so my, but God moments, right. Right. You know, right. They were just able to accumulate so that this time it was still hard. We still had a hard conversation with the kids that night that I had to go back to the hospital to try and sort all this out. It was, it was terrible, but there were enough of those moments to reflect back on that we could begin to tell the story of God's faithfulness to us. He'll be faithful this time too, even though we can't see it. Mm-hmm. So, so many takeaways. One of them being that is our job. Mm-hmm. Collect evidences of God's intersection in your story mm-hmm. in a way that reminds us of his control and his faithfulness within what he has said he will be and do. Yes. I think it's very easy sometimes to think of God's promises as um vending machine encounters with god like okay god i need your you said that you were going to promise this right i need it right now i can tell you that in hindsight i am able to see how his promises were Mm -hmm. fulfilled right though often they were not fulfilled in the way that i thought they should be right Mm -hmm. and so that's that's very tough to say because when somebody's in the middle of it yes 
of course we want to be reminded and tell people, hey, don't forget, you know, this verse says that God promised you this, so just rest in that. Yes. Mm. You know what? That's that's not my reality right now. That right. And so what I need is the benefit of uh, time and God's faithfulness. Yes. To allow me the space to reflect back at some point. I'll be able to see it. Yeah. Because it's been true in the past. Yeah. It will be true again. So I'm not saying that God's promises aren't true. I'm simply saying that uh, oftentimes the belief that I can take two verses and call God in the morning and be okay. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my friend. Well, well said. Well said. That's the, the more complicated way of saying that, uh, or it, it, that's that's transactional. Yep. You know, it's a transactional relationship with God. Right. And it simply doesn't work that way. Right. Even though I want it to. <laughs> Even though we want it to. And, right. and so many of us, that's all we've ever been taught. Yes. And that's all the further we've ever explored. Yes. I mean, I think one of the things that God is doing in this time in our nation mm. in particular is sifting the American church. Totally. To a deeper relationship with the real God mm-hmm. rather than the God really like, yes, who is such a loving God. But that's where it just stops is we don't actually get to know mm. all of the facets of his character. That's right. And so we translate loving into like the way that we like loving, which mm-hmm. is like, well, it makes me feel good all the time. That's right. His love is way broader than that's that right. and way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're talking to us, of, that you have felt God's love mm-hmm. in the middle of suffering. How can you say those two things together? You know, that's, let me testify. <laughs> um, when my back, when my back went, um, one of the one of the hard parts of uh, radiation is that they uh, they put you in this high tech room mm. and they lay you on a table and the staff amazing they're just amazing people and yet once they once you lay down on that machine they walk out and a twelve inch thick steel door slides shut and then over the intercom they say we're right here if you need anything. And pardon my French, but I said, the hell you are. Right. I'm the one that's laying here. Right. And fear, just this. I mean, I, I profoundly alone. And now they're going to beam radiation into my body, which is designed to put a stop to one problem. And it's going to create some new ones. And uh, that's probably... One of the few times that uh, I would say, I think I almost heard an audible voice. <laughs> and God said, I'm here. You're not. I'm here with you. Whew. And that's the way his promises look. That's right. They're not. <laughs> they're not nice sayings that we just post on the wall. Right, or pretty pictures. Like, we just, we want his promises to be the pretty pictures. They are lived experiences. They're relational to the core. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, in that moment, you know, I feel like that was a moment of of somewhat identifying with, oh gosh, Jesus in the garden. Mm. You know, God hadn't abandoned his son. That happened to one person in the world. Happened to Jesus in the cross, mm-hmm. right? But in the Garden of Eden, or the, I'm sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, God was with him, even though he had to face all of that stress. Mm-hmm. And I'm not equating what I went through with that, mm-hmm. but I'm simply saying that it was a powerful reminder for me mm-hmm. that this is the God who will suffer radiation on my behalf too. He's on the table. I'm not alone. Huge. This has been so incredibly good. And so just mind so much even out of what you've already shared. I don't want to end, actually. I really don't. It's so good. But what is a final word of encouragement or mm-hmm. even insight or whatever that you might want to get 
give to those suffering today and maybe even to ones who might be suffering and not understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've prayed a very um, consistent prayer for 11 years, uh, and that is, Lord, give me the strength to walk this well. Mm. And walking it well didn't mean walk it perfectly. Mm-hmm. I needed and have needed and continue to need a lot of grace for the bad days. And so what I would reject is the notion that the more mature I as a believer get, the less I need God. Yeah, right. And right. that's just what people think. It's this weird thing. We don't think it consciously, but it's how we live. It is. We think that... That we're going to look yes. less needy the mm-hmm. more mature we get. Yes. We actually look more needy the more mature we get. That's exactly right. <laughs> the more I'm in tune with how deep... Uh, my need for a savior goes, the more dependent I become on him, not less dependent. So it's very hard to tell people, here's here's the good advice for the day. <laughs> Lean into your anxiety. Mm-hmm. Lean into your uncertainty because right. you're not right. there alone. Correct. He's with you. Um, join him where he wants to take you. And so the other part of the kind of the the prayer and and the thing that has given me a sense of meaning and purpose in all this is uh, I want to be part of the story he wants to write through my story, not the other way around. Mm. I don't want to make him a part of my story so that I feel good about the story that does that make sense? Oh, you've just convicted everyone listening. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, we're going to, Alicia, we're going to have to edit that out because people aren't going to be able to handle that. <laughs> that is what we, that is what we do. And that is what we want to do. And that is what, as I said, it just seems like so much of American Christianity, mm-hmm. my Christianity, our Christianity has morphed into somehow, mm-hmm. which is, I want to make God my co-pilot. Right. I want to make God, you know, really a cool, a cool part of this cool thing. That's like my vibe. Right. Rather than, wait a minute, I worship That's right. an almighty God. Mm-hmm. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. That's right. And let me tell you, it's it actually frees you up. Come on. Because the other way of doing it, to, to make God part of my story so that I will feel significant and I will make meaning for my life, means that I wake up every day with a sense of anxiety, a new anxiety, right? The anxiety produces more anxiety because I have to now produce something. I have to, at the very beginning of this journey, I said, I'm going to live with more intention because I don't know how many days I have left. So I'm going to be this amazing parent, the perfect husband that's going to love Carrie so well. She just won't know what to do with herself. Um, And the reality is I still lost my cool with my kids. Uh I was still unkind to my wife. It was it was an unbearable weight to say that I'm going to live yeah. with more intention. So what I needed to do instead is say, Lord, I surrender yeah. my need for significance, yeah. meaning, and purpose, and I'm going to trust you with that. Yeah. Again, I wish I could tell you that that was a one-time event right, and right. everything's been happily ever after. Not at all. Daily. That is a daily and moment-by-moment decision. And on the good days... <laughs> I'm able to acknowledge that, man, my story is not my own. And if my name's never on a building, that's okay. Mm. But boy, do I want to be faithful to him Mm. because he's been so faithful to me. I want my kids to taste the love of Jesus, not because of me, but because of the story they've seen unfold before their eyes. Oh, please, Lord. (laughs) So good. So speaking of your amazing story, it just keeps going on. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to just take this turn and tell the listener what is the craziness you are going to do, but it is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This man who got some sort of cement in his back right now <laughs> <laughs> is going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro yeah. in March of 2021. Mm-hmm. Because he's been asked to be a part of a fundraising um, project for multiple myeloma. Do you want to tell us about this unbelievable thing that you're training for that God has you participating in? Yeah, this amazing organization is one of the larger 
um, cancer organizations in the United States. The MMRF, Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, they started a, they call it Moving Mountains for Multiple Myeloma about six years ago. And so the climbs are really about drawing awareness and attention to multiple myeloma. There's been new drugs that have been, that have come to market just in the last year because of MMRF's research, which is incredible. Uh, you know, with every new iteration of these drugs, we're getting closer and closer mm. to, um, to being able to call this thing cured. So yeah. that's huge. And uh, yeah, so I've got a $10,000 fundraising goal, which is large and aggressive. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already a quarter of the way there. And uh, I've got the next six months to finish that, as well as get my butt in physical condition <laughs> to be able to make it to the top. It's oh, an eight-day trip. Yeah, uh, It's going to take six and a half days to climb, yeah. and then it's a day and a half down. Incredible. And, yeah. Six and a half days to climb. And so to the listener who would be interested in supporting this incredible mm. work of God in your life and continued testimony in your life, but the broader work and mm. research of, uh, you know, cancer-free world of multiple myeloma at least um we're going to put that information on my website and social media thank you uh for where to donate wow. because apparently to try to give it in audio format is daunting at best lots of yeah. way too many words and, and letters so we're going to go ahead and put that on uh, my social media and mm. website and that kind of thing so that'll be just an honor to be able to contribute to you and you know normally I uh, I end our time together by praying, and so I do want to pray for you, but I want to put you on the spot and mm -hmm. ask you to pray yeah. for our listeners after I pray for you. Of course. Oh, thank you, Jesus, mm -hmm. for this sanctuary of a time, and I pray it's been that for any listener who's been a part, that more than being impressed by a man and his story, they've encountered you, yes, Lord. and that your spirit has even just come alongside wherever he or she is listening, whether that's in a car or... Uh, on a run or as they're making dinner or wherever that there's just been a sense of you speaking through the multiple layers of um, what you've been communicating in and through Joel and his story. And so I know the listeners along with me want to pray your blessing and your continued blessing on Joel and his family and the story protection and healing and all the different layers. God, that you would give increase to his life as he continues to um, give you the glory and tell an honest story about how suffering allows a soul to be expanded, um, that surrender is the key, God, that he would continue to be willing to give this message, whether to one person in a small corner or thousands mm -hmm. through whatever medium, that a life of surrender to you is worth it. And so I thank you for that message. I thank you that we've gotten to be a part, and we really pray protection on him as he's training for Mount Kilimanjaro. We pray, Lord, that his financial goal would be met and that this would just be an amazing trip where it's yet another Ebenezer where he sets up a stone of faithfulness and, and seeing your hand in this. But thank you so much that we've gotten to spend this time together listening for you and um, having our faith increased by getting to hear you and Joel's story. Lord, thank you for providing a way for us to approach you boldly. Mm. Sometimes, Lord, we find ourselves having to crawl because the pain is just so great. And so, Lord, rather than believing that suffering separates us from you mm. or somehow is the, uh, the result of disobedience and sin, Lord, I pray instead which you would allow us to see are your ar open arms mm. to us, receiving us in the state that we find ourselves. Because frankly, even if our decisions have produced uh, difficulties and suffering for us, you receive us then too. So we can't outrun the length of your grace and love for us. Thank you. It just doesn't work that way. So, Lord, I pray for those that are listening today that perhaps have embraced a theology that uh, just simply is not true. Mm. Lord, set them free. Mm -hmm. Jesus. And the only way that they'll be set free is if mm -hmm. they encounter you. Mm -hmm. They need to encounter your heart for them. Oh, I'm so grateful for you, Lord. Mm. You have reshaped and redefined my story 
and you do that for each one of us. And so help us, Lord, now be uh, obedient and responsive to the leading of your spirit so that what happens is we get to be active participants mm-hmm. in bringing your kingdom right now. This isn't just about what's going to happen on the other side. Mm-hmm. It's about bringing dignity to people's lives now. Thank you, Jesus. Bringing meaning to suffering today. Mm. And so, Lord, give people the opportunity to share their stories. 